Welcome to Encounter Grace, where we come face to face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Hey, welcome to the show. We're glad you're with us. I'm Jason McKnight, and I'm really glad to be here, especially because we have a huge treat today. My sweet wife, Susan, is joining us. Thanks, babe, for coming. Sure. Glad to be here. <laughs> I love it. You weren't expecting me to call you babe. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we've got you here, as we've done in the past several times, to talk about parenting and to talk about what you have been reading in parenting. So I'm very excited about today as we talk about this simple book called Age of Opportunity by Paul David Tripp. And I'd love to get you telling us a little bit about it right away, and then I'm going to ask you some questions. Great. Well, Age of Opportunity. Basically, Tripp asks in this book, is this a season of survival, specifically the teenage years? The teenage years. And so let's just get through these years, or could we look at it instead as an age of opportunity? Hmm. Because we all know the teen years are hard, right? Yep. You live through them, I live through them, probably every person watching this has lived through them. If not, kudos Very few toddlers to watch this. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Um, and I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to go back to them really for anything. So mm. it's hard. It's a hard season of life, but it's also hard on parents too, raising teenagers. Mm -hmm. So it's natural to think in terms of if I can just get through this phase of my kids' lives, if I can just survive this. So we start thinking that way, kind of joking around, but then it, it becomes our reality where our highest goal is just to survive these years strap on the helmet because they're so hard mm -hmm. so paul david tripp in this book says let's not make the goal survival but let's say how can we thrive mm. how can you as a parent thrive and your teen in this season thrive as you see it as an age of opportunity so a year before our oldest became a teenager some friend i don't even remember who it was gave me this book and said read this now for your perspective to be changed on what's ahead for you, on what the teen years will look like. And she was so right. I'm so glad she gave this to me because I read it and I actually got excited about the teenage years. Huh. And it's not because it was like this pep rally and rah-rah, that kind of stuff. In fact, it's really hard stuff mm -hmm. that he yeah. calls us to. But when I have, now looking back, when I see I can live into this, this is an opportunity in my teen's life and in my life to help him grow, to help me grow more. What happens is I see things more from God's perspective, um, and I get excited about the opportunity to be in on what God is doing in my son's lives, lives and in mine as well. When I don't work hard to live into that perspective, and instead I kind of have this, let's just get through this, this survival mode, then I miss out on the joys of being in on God's work. Mm. So survival is really easy in the moment, right. but long-term it yields shallow relationships and lost opportunities. Whereas mm -hmm. looking at it as an age of opportunity, these teenage years, it's difficult in the moment. It's a lot of hard work. But long-term, it typically yields deeper relationships with your kids. And the potential for growth in the teen and the parent is unlimited. I think that's really important, teen and parent. Because God is actually maturing both of us through yes. our kids as we seek to raise them 
And, and that's from the beginning, newborn onwards. And, you know, people, empty nesters will say the same thing relating to our adult children. But I think that's a great, also me, God is growing me. All right, let's, let's talk, because uh, I need the growth, as you well know. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. We all do. And I'm not yes, speaking like an expert yeah. here. I'm speaking to no. somebody on the journey learning Someone, yeah. hard stuff. And that's what's so fun about the body of Christ is a friend gave you this book, mm-hmm. and now you're giving out from it to others. And I know you've given the book to several of your friends. Okay, what, let's talk teen years for a minute. Why are the teen years so hard for parents? Well... There's so much craziness, as we know, going on in the teenagers, um, in the teen years, the raging hormones, the insecurities, the mood swings, the anger, the figuring out their place in the world. It's, They're it's, a bunch of rabid raccoons. It's just hard. It's <laughs> Remember just when our hard. friends said that? Yes. <laughs> so the teen years are hard for parents, hmm. I think, because they bring out the worst in us, in me. Um my kids' teenage years brings out the worst in me, hmm. and it's constant. I remember, um, and it's exhausting. Yeah, it I remember is. Carol Irvin saying to us, "Wow, when, when you have tod- when we had toddlers, she says this age is physically exhausting." Hmm. She said the teenage years are emotionally, mentally, and spiritually exhausting, um, and that's so true. Now, then another friend said to us, ages 5 to 11, those are the golden years (laughs) because the kids are independent enough, but they still need and want you. Um, So enjoy those years as well. It really was fun when they could bathe themselves. It was. Like that was a big deal. Like when you weren't afraid every night was someone's going to drown. Yes, exactly. But so teen years are hard for parents, I think mostly because it exposes the wrong thoughts and desires Mm -hmm. in our hearts in a big way. And I don't know about you, but I don't really want to see those things in myself. The impatience, the unforgiving mm-hmm. spirit, the lack of servant love, the weak faith, um, the craving of my own comfort and ease, and then mm-hmm. what happens when I don't get that. Yeah. Um, Trip tells a story in the book of a father and son who met with him one day. They came into his office to meet with him, and there was so much tension in the father and son relationship from the moment they walked in the office, there's no tenderness, obviously, between the two and their relationship. There was this tense distance between the two. And at one point, um, the dad got up to talk to his son. They were talking about his grades. And the dad got up and he stuck the failing report card in the son's face. And he said, how dare you do this to me after all I've done for you. Wow. So to the dad, the personal the, the bad grades were really a personal affront. This was not the way it was supposed to work. The dad had done his job, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of yeah. what he was seeing it. Now the son needed to do his. And the dad was angry with his son, not because the son had sinned against God, but he was angry with his son because the son had taken away from him as a father the things that he valued very much. His reputation as a successful Christian dad the respect he thought he deserved, and even the ease that he thought he'd finally achieve with older, with older kids. So it's a drastic example, a true one, but a drastic one. And yet, before I walk away saying, that dad is pathetic, have I not thought that too? I mean, honey, have you not thought that? Like, <laughs> how dare you do that to me? Yeah. Maybe it's not with grades. Maybe it's something just something stupid our child did. Um, maybe it wasn't even that phrase we used, but 
really, haven't we all gotten bugged at our kids because they spoiled our vacation mm. with their whininess, their fighting, their ungratefulness? How did you handle being bugged? Did you happen to fly off the handle? And I'm pointing at myself here. So I, 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 I'm finding reading this book, if I can pull back the curtain of my own heart, when our teen says something or does something that makes us mad, what do I find? Mm -hmm. Too often I find a heart that's saying, how dare you after all I've done for you? Or maybe it's simply you ruined my plans for the perfect family vacation. After all the work I did to plan this and pay for this, I don't deserve that. We're all just kind of like that dad. Mm -hmm. So a big part of seeing the teen years as an age of opportunity rather than something to survive is believing this. And this is really big. God is on mission in my teen's life. Mm. He wants to rescue and transform him. So the question we need to ask is, Lord, how can I be a tool of your rescue and transformation in his or her life? Because the truth is, you're not a change agent. I'm not a change agent. I have no ability to change my child. I have tried. <laughs> but I'm not the change agent. And you know what? It's not my job. It's not your job to change our child. We are just tools in God's hand. Mm. And that's what we are. And there's some huge level of freedom in that there is to recognize what my role is absolutely it does not depend on me although i'm in the trenches right wow god is on mission in my teen's life i love it okay let's um think through together a little bit of what the bible says about teenagers mm -hmm. what does the bible say about teenagers nothing oh great but it never uses that word, yeah. but it does give some wonderful descriptions of the tendencies of youth. And this is really a good chapter uh, in, in this book, the, the tendencies of youth, excuse me, the tendencies of youth, especially coming out of Proverbs. That's where Tripp pulls a lot of them. So what I'd like to do is maybe I'll just say a few of them and then let you unpack one um, and let us dwell there. So one of the things that we know is um, tendencies of youth, especially that Proverbs gives us, is they have a great tendency towards legalism. They, in other words, they want to know how far they can go until they're in trouble. And they will hold you to that. Where's the line? So they don't quite understand spirit of the law yet. They just want to know the letter of the law. Uh, another tendency is they're super susceptible to sexual temptation. And that's why, you know, the first nine chapters of Proverbs, my son, my son, my son, avoid this, uh, the woman of adultery. And of course, he's addressing his kid. But that, as, as our bodies mature and our minds mature and uh, all of that awakens in us. So there's a huge susceptibility among youth to sexual temptation. We know that. It's fun to see it unpacked here. He does it better than I'm doing. Two more quick ones. Um, there's a tendency to be unwise in our choice of companions. We all know companions matter in life. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a big deal. And, and often our uh, youth and teenagers don't have the ability to make wise choices there. I know I was really taken with looks and status and money in the people around right. me, like mm -hmm. as a 15-year-old. Like that was a big deal to me. That's not a wise choice of companion, looks or status or money, but that's where I was. 
a last one for fun here quickly. Lack of heart awareness. Mm. They are still learning how to make sense of what they're feeling or thinking or responding and um, they don't and they're still learning how to communicate that so there's a lack of heart awareness or ability to communicate it and and it's fascinating but there's one that you want to help us with you want to help us lean into so why don't you unpack that for us right well one another thing that we learn in the proverbs um, is that there's no hunger for wisdom or correction in youth I mean, and that's pretty obvious. Like most teenagers, most teenagers don't walk into the living room and say, you know, dad, I was thinking how wise you are. That's a good thing that God put you in my life so I could gain wisdom too. I just wanted to come in and soak up some of that wisdom that you and I both know I desperately need. Right. Actually, that happens three times a week in our house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Not really. Well, I love how Tripp does this in the book. Mm. He says the craziest things like that, like we all know duh they don't do that um but then he kind of exposes what that is really what i'm thinking they should do right like he says so true it makes no sense to get mad at our parent at our kids because they need parenting Hmm. oh that's a really good point (laughs) then that's why i'm here is to parent them so proverbs emphasizes the value of wisdom and the importance of correction he Hmm. who hates correction is stupid there it is, the stupid word. He who hates correction is stupid. And most teens think they're way smarter than their parents. Mm-hmm. So we know they don't beg for our wisdom, but we can't give in and let them set the agenda for our relationship with them. So mm. we need to ask ourselves, do I respond in ways that make wisdom appealing? Um, do I make the taste of correction sweet? Tripp says to make wisdom attractive and correction something to be desired. So don't make correction bitter and beat your child up with demeaning words. You know, I've seen myself fear the what ifs so much, you know, what if they do this awful thing, that it's caused me to try to produce in them with human control what only God can produce by his grace. Mm. And really we get nowhere when we try to take control and start, we try to produce what God only can produce. I think that's really worth saying just one more time. Uh, do I respond in ways that makes wisdom appealing? Because when I get my feelings hurt, because a kid has just disrespected me, oh, the best thing I want to do is jump up on that soapbox and just tell them why they're being an idiot Right. right. in my flesh. Yep. And that's going to shut them down. Exactly. And then we're just surviving and we're not taking the opportunity in front of us. Right. No, that's really good. Am I making wisdom attractive and correction something to be desired? Mm-hmm. Or am I making correction bitter? bitter? That's good. That's right. I remember at the end of the elementary years for our oldest, um, I had the distinct impression that I needed to stay available for him. And I'm sure it came from reading this book Um, But while he was getting more and more independent, it was easy for me to just get busier and busier. He doesn't need me as much anyway, so I can stay involved and busy in other things. But the Lord just really kept putting that on my heart. Be available. When he gets out, so when he would get home from school, I just, I needed to hang out in the kitchen where he was having a snack, where he stayed to do his homework, doing the dishes, folding laundry, just be available. I mean, you were making work. 
Right. I was making things up to do. Yeah. After dinner, I couldn't just let myself dive into something that needed to be done. I needed to be available just in case. And that's hard. I mean, like you said, it can be awkward. You're just creating stuff to do. But I I think that was the Lord. Now looking back, I think that was him preparing me. Um, Because then when Andrew hit middle school, that's when he started pulling away. Hmm. And that's what Tripp says. That's what teenagers naturally do. They tend to build a moat around themselves. They want to stay in their rooms more. They want to do their own things. Um, And parents just kind of accept that because, well, that's what teenagers do. And he doesn't want to talk to me. Okay, we won't talk. But this is the time where significant things happen in the life of a teenager. He was never meant to deal with those things alone. Hmm. So they need us. He needs us. I remember even at bedtime, um, Andrew didn't really want me to go say goodnight and have the same sweet little time that we'd have together at bed every night. And, you know, I'd, I, I let it frustrate me so much for a while. Fine. I don't want to say goodnight either. You know, like who's the middle <laughs> schooler now, right? But reading this helped remind me as, this, as much as this kid doesn't think he wants me, he needs me now. More than ever, I've got to keep moving towards him. Even when he puts that arm out to stop me. As Tripp says it, we have to enter the world of our teenager and stay there. Mm, enter the world of our teenager and stay there. Because even though it's natural as we grow to build the moat, to be more independent, to be on our own, and to draw away, and those are natural things. That's not just sheer teenage rebellion. That's what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean we just go, hey, all right, I, I'm going to take on another project. It's we still need to pursue them mm-hmm. is what you're, you're helping us with. So we still need to enter the world of your teenager and stay there. Enter their world and stay there. How do we do that? Well, I think you just said it well. We need to pursue them. Hmm. Um, we've got to pursue our teenagers even when they act like it's the last thing they want. So how do we do that? Well, daily expressing our love for them. Oh, they love that. Yeah, they love that. And they get it right back. I mean, it's just a beautiful moment every day. But daily we need to do that. You reminded me this morning of a friend of ours. I was in the parking uh, or the driveway of a friend um, talking to her when her teenage son was driving off. And at the end of the driveway, he yells out across the front lawn, Bye, Mom. I love you. Hmm. And she didn't go screaming after him to say, You forgot to say you love He just did that. Well, it was obvious that that was just said a lot in their home for that to be such a natural thing yeah. um, for him to do. But are we daily expressing hmm. our love for them? We don't have to go overboard. Right, right. Um. I think another thing we can do is don't ask questions that can be answered yes or no. Ask Hmm. questions that require descriptions or explanations or self-disclosure. Now, in another podcast, we've said to me specifically, don't ask too many questions and constantly ask and get them to try to keep talking all the time. There's a time and a place. But I think too often we revert to, well, they don't want to talk anyway. But we do Hmm. need to keep pursuing them in this way, asking questions, getting to know their world a little bit without, without um, going overboard with it. And, and the key is it's not a yes or no question. It's, it's one that invites self-disclosure. It's open-ended. Exactly. So did you have a good day at school is just yes right. or no. Right. But 
hey, tell me something that happened today. Mm-hmm. It's just an invitation and, and they can share a little or a lot, but you're drawing them out. Right. That's good. That's right. Um, another way we can keep pursuing them is don't relate to them only during times of correction. It's very mm. easy to slip into this, I find. Um, but we need to keep relating to them just in all of life in general. Keep relating. That's why I think family dinners are important. Mm-hmm. Things that you're doing regularly as a family so you're not just relating around the things that have to be done or the things they've done wrong, but you're enjoying all of life. Mm-hmm. Um, don't only catch them doing things wrong. Catch them doing something right and af- affirm them and encourage them in yeah. that. Pray daily with them, even if it makes them uncomfortable. Always find them in the house to give them a warm good night before they go to bed. Hmm. That doesn't seem huge, but that's... Just a little thing. Yep. I remember Jimbo Perry saying that. He just would always tuck the boys in at night, mm. no matter how old they were. Even if, like Andrew, they didn't want it. Right. Just right, right. dance that one carefully. That's right. Yeah. And then finally, enter their world and stay there. Kind of summarizing all of it. Yeah. Enter their world and stay there. Don't let them view you as being outside their functional world. Teens are going to reject grenades of wisdom and correction that are lobbed at them from afar by Mm. someone who has not been on site for a long time. So enter their world and stay there. So what I kind of looking at this book overall, what I see Trip does is Everything that happens, instead of figuring out what do you need to do to change your kid, he's really helping us learn how to look inside and how to change me because that's going to help so much more in knowing how to deal with them. And the reason is because we can't control our kids. We can only control ourselves. Boy, and isn't that all of life? Yes. (laughs) We can't control anyone else, but we can and must control ourselves or ask God to control us. Um, It it seems like if I can't control them, but I can control myself, the the number one thing I need to start controlling in me is not shrinking back from them, Hmm. but pursuing them, entering Hmm. their world, like making that not control. I mean, now we're, it's a, it's the wrong word, but the idea of, okay, if I'm taking responsibility for my lifestyle, actions, conduct, what I'm spending my time when I'm with everyone, let me move towards them. It's even interesting, like, you know, Daniel, our second, he doesn't love board games, but every once in a while I'll say, you want to play checkers? You want to play chess? And, And half the time he says no, but half the time he says yes. Well, I could have just made that decision. He hates board games. I won't even ask. But at at least once in a while, we sit down and, and play, which is just a tiny little example, but I could have made the decision for him, but I'm stepping into his world. I'm saying, oh, I'll try it anyway. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll see what he says. Well, um, all right. So the whole idea of not con- being able to control others, only control us, entering their world and staying there. This actually leads us to um, a really, really important insight that is is good from Trip and for us, uh, and that you flesh out well, and I'm, I'm excited to kind of move to this part. Um, if we're going to enter their world and stay there, <laughs> here's a really great realization of, wow, the fact that we all inhabit the same world is this. 
Every one of us in our household needs God's grace in our lives. We need the gospel every day, both parents and kids. And I think sometimes as a parent, I think I'm up here and I got to get my kids who are down here up here with me. And so I'm the one that can draw them in. But really, from God's perspective, we're all in the same lifeboat in our house. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, up on, up on a higher deck on this cruise ship. We're all in the same lifeboat, and we both need the grace of God. Of course, I have more life experience or have walked with Christ longer, but I'm as deeply in need of his grace mm-hmm. as they are. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about that. Right. Well, we... We know the gospel is good news. Romans 6.23 tells us that what we deserve for our sin is death, but God has offered us this gift of eternal life through Christ, his death on the cross. That is great news, and we're all desperate for it. But the gospel doesn't end there, and I think a lot of times we think it does. But see, the gospel can intersect and bring help and hope and healing to every aspect of our lives if we let it. And I think that's why I love Tripp's writing so much because he makes it so obvious how desperately we need the good news of the gospel in every moment of our day, in every interaction with our kids. And he shows how simple that is and yet how hard that is. Um, One time the Lord allowed me to see my need for the gospel Uh, was through a hard conversation, a hard interaction with one of our guys. We had decided to give um, one of our boys a gift that he had wanted for a really long time. And uh, we had said no for a long time, but now it was the proper time to give him that gift. And so we picked it out, and I was so excited to give him this. We looked for the right one. We took great care to wrap it. Um, I was so excited. You took great care to wrap it. Yeah, I did. You didn't really care about that. I was so excited for days leading up to this. I could hardly stand it. He was going to be so excited. I just knew he was. And the day finally came, and he was in the living room reading. um, And we surprised him by walking in, sitting down, and saying, hey, we've got something for you. So we gave him the box. He opened it up. I could still feel myself holding my breath like, this is going to be great, waiting for his excitement. And instead, he looked at the box after opening it, and he said, hmm. And he put it down on the table right next to him, and he kept reading. So I was floored, to say the least. And then after a few seconds, he said, when can I trade it in for a better one? (laughs) So by God's grace, in that moment, you were there. And... God gave you what needed to happen because you stayed calm and you stepped in before I could blow my top and you answered that question really vaguely without any kind of commitment. And I'm good at non-committal answers. I just could not believe what happened. So I eventually was able to pick my jaw up off the ground and get out of there. But I was furious, mm. furious with him. Everything in me wanted to scream at him for the ungrateful Um, heart he had I just was like he is spoiled he's selfish he's so entitled somehow I made it through the rest of the night I got in bed I didn't sleep a wink that night because I was mad Um, I got up early the next morning since I wasn't sleeping anyway Um, but I just was devastated how Mm. have we done such a bad job raising this kid we've created this monster 
um, spoiled, selfish, ungrateful, uh, you know. I mean, throw them all out there. Yeah. So I grabbed my journal that morning and Mm. I write out my prayers to the Lord. It helps me think better and it helps me focus better and figure out what I'm really feeling. And I was writing really hard, you know, just so mad and just going off on this, what this child had done and telling the Lord everything in between all my ranting and raving. I said, Lord, you've got to know, help me know how to respond. I mean, I still just want to scream at him. How do I help him get this? That he's all these different things I keep saying about him. I mean, I'm so embarrassed. And as I kept writing this, writing this in my journal, the strangest thing happened. It was like the Lord was just gently tapping me on the shoulder <laughs> and giving me a picture of me asking him the Lord for things, something over and over again, asking him for it and him finally giving it to me and me getting it and saying, Hmm, is that all? When am I going to get the newer version? Mm. When can I have what she has? God showed me that morning, basically that I'm just like my son. Mm. Um, I'm selfish. I'm spoiled. I'm entitled. I'm ungrateful. I'm a daughter of the King. And I'm all those things. And here's where the gospel intersects. Hmm. Because God has blessed me with so much. And I glance at it and I say the same things that this son said and did the same things. And so I just wept that morning Hmm. because I was so broken seeing how sinful my own heart was. And seeing my moment by moment need Hmm. of the Lord. I mean... I knew I couldn't discipline my son. I couldn't have before this moment with a pure heart because it was so full of sin. But as the Lord, as I wept, the Lord just reminded me, Susan, my grace is sufficient. I forgive you. I love you. I have washed these sins far away. And so at that point, I knew immediately I had to forgive my son too because how could I not? Having been offered that gift and receiving that great gift of the Lord, how can I not extend that to him? So getting to that point of forgiving my son didn't mean he was off the hook for how he acted, right? right? I mean, God forgives us, but there are consequences to the things we do. So we had a hard conversation about that, um, but I wasn't having that hard conversation with an angry heart. Rather, it was with a forgiven heart. And so I was in a much better place to say hard things to him that needed to be said. And it was a much better conversation than it would have been in the moment when it happened. And he has learned from that how to express thanks and be and not look down the road. I mean, that's just kind of leadership coming out of well, what's next. But, right. But he's learned how to be in the moment more. Right. Because... God dealt with you yes, and gave you grace to correct him at yes. the right time. Maybe it's we miss opportunities in our kids' lives because of our own mm. sinfulness and not being willing to deal with myself first before yeah. I can help them deal yeah. with these things. It's too bad because this is an age of opportunity. It really is. Yeah, all right, okay. <laughs> so here's the great news. And yeah. I've just heard this again this week um, with, with a, a fresh... Um, fresh ears, but we don't have to wake up every morning 
and load our kids on our shoulders as this huge burden Mm. that we've got to figure out how to carry because God carries them. I am not the change agent as a parent. Mm. You're not the change change agent. We have no ability to change our kids. It's not our job, but we are a tool in God's hands. And so we need to learn how to be that tool that God is inviting us to be. And I think the best way to learn to be that tool is by pursuing God personally, asking him to grow me and to keep changing me. And then out of the overflow of that will come a great work in our kids' lives. And as we come alongside them with the glasses on that these teenage years are really years of opportunity. I mean, it's, it's an age of opportunity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be so much better than just surviving. Oh, that's great. God is on mission in their lives. That paradigm change is everything. Um, enter their lives and stay there. That's such a great handle. And we're the tool that God is using. Um, we're not the workman. Right. You know, we're exactly. the tool. Like the Holy Spirit will give us as we keep ourselves open to him. And thank you for sharing that. Uh, even that one story about, uh, you know, God doing a work in your life. I was I was thinking, wow, I'm glad she didn't ask me to share <laughs> somewhere where I was all over the map. <laughs> it's true. I feel like that all the time. Well, look, at, uh, so you, you read this book. I mean, just to, to wind up here, you read this book before our kids entered the teenage years. And now we have an 18-year-old senior in high school and a 16-year-old sophomore. And I reread it every few years. You reread it every couple helpful. years. And you've re- you kind of reread it over the last three weeks as I said, hey, we need to do, we need to get you talking about this. What fruit have you seen just right now in our lives? What simple joys have you seen at home and in, in our relationships? I think just the relationships, just the mm. fun of um, an openness in the relationships that um, is such a joy. And because of the ups and downs of the teen years, I could see hearts hardening um, at different times yeah, and yeah. praying through that and working through that, whether that's my heart or mm-hmm. their hearts, mm-hmm. and um, then being able to have fun and mm-hmm. tease each other, even teasing each other about things, hard things that have happened in the past um, has been really healthy for us as a family because we all know, well, we've all just made mistakes before, um, but it ends up being a lot of fun and a great thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and you really have uh, been such the glue in our house. It's just very, very fun because you kind of navigate all three of us boys. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like a 16-year-old too. Pray for me. No, <laughs> Pray for you is so right. <laughs> and if, if you haven't, everybody out there, if you have not seen Susan and Daniel on uh, the three-minute video on Daniel McKnight's YouTube. It is hilarious as he interviews him, his mom. Uh, well, the book is Age of Opportunity, A Biblical Guide to Parenting Teens. Paul David Tripp, a well-respected um, thinker, theologian, pastor, and counselor. We love uh, him. And thank you, Susan, for breaking it down for us in bite-sized pieces so that in you know 20 minutes, half an hour, uh, we can, if we don't get to read the book, we can learn uh, a little bit to be a par- better parent t- of teens. And those of us who aren't quite teenage parents yet, uh, parents of teens yet, we can start looking forward to that age. Right. 
Forget the world saying it's just survive it, put your helmet on. God has great work to do. Thanks for joining us. I look forward to being back with you again. See you next time. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.com.